Hey, what's up, Zikamore View? I'm with my family this week, my parents, my brother, my niece. Uh, we're away just having one last trip. Uh, miss you guys. Can't wait to be there with you next Sunday, August 6th, as we kick off our prayer campaign. Look forward to launching into a new three-week series that we are calling Ecclesia. Uh, can't wait to unpack that for you a little bit. Hey, you're in for a treat this morning. We've worked really hard over the last few weeks to put together this uh, teaching time you're going to have. Uh, I experienced something like this at a conference not too long ago and thought, man, I would love to help adapt that to fit the Sycamore View culture and who we are. So this morning, you're not just going to hear from one person. You're going to hear from three uh, with our good friend Mark Taylor facilitating it. Uh, I cannot wait to tune in to our podcast to check this out. Uh, those are usually available on Mondays. Um, so pass this on to your friends. I think it's going to be a great morning. Uh, and how about we give our friend Mark Taylor a Sycamore View welcome. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, I was out in the lobby greeting guests. So I don't know if this was already said, but did anybody say anything about the communion bread? Okay. That was made by our children at VBS. How cool is that? We had the Roman uh, marketplace, ancient Roman marketplace, and had various vendors and shops set up, and one of those was the food shop. And so the kids made that. I don't think they had disposable sanitary gloves back then, but we used them. Anyway, so some of you homophobes here, that's what we did. We did that, okay. Uh, germophobes. Did yeah. I say homophobes? That was awkward. Monifa made sure that we wore gloves so there's no germs okay we're so glad that you're here thank you so much for coming um this is a kind of a unique setup but uh welcome and if you're a guest here we're very very glad as brandon said that you're here and i'm on staff here i've been on staff here for 17 years and and i'll be totally honest with you i had to call my wife this morning uh, i got to church early and i called her to make sure i had the math right um, and I said, Stephanie, I don't want you to call me out from your pew, because I think you would if I got this wrong, but uh, if we make it to September, it'll be 34 years that we've been married. So I've been on staff a long time, and like most guys that I know, married way over my head, and I'm very, very thankful for um, our partnership in ministry. And I was talking to Kay Jardini a moment ago, and, and I said, Kay, when you were a little girl and you were in school learning your ABCs and reading and writing and arithmetic, did you ever think you would be writing 2020 or 2017? That just seemed so in the future, and it was. And here we are, we're about to be writing 2020. We'll be talking about our vision today of 2020 vision. But God has called us to this vision of restoring, of restoration, of hearts, relationships, community, right here at this location, 1910 Sycamore View. And three of my friends this morning uh, are going to be joining us to maybe dissect this a little bit better. It's all introduced three of the of the for seven, because Josh was talking about going to a conference where it was seven for seven. Seven people talk for seven minutes. We're going to have three people talking for seven minutes. You think they can do that? 
Okay, we'll see about that. Just so we use timers out there, use your iPhone and just see how long they do, okay? But God is moving today, and he will be moving through us and through them. So I'm going to have them come up. First of all, I'm going to have Patrick Parson come up. And Patrick is from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he lived in Columbus, Mississippi, in England, South Korea. I don't know if he got kicked out of those places or I don't know, but he's lived there. Uh, he's married to his high school sweetheart, Chauncey Parson, for 17 years. Two great kids, uh, Demetrius. Tomorrow, does she, where's she? Where is she? Tell everybody later about that great letter that I received from the German officials. Was that like a big deal? Unbelievable. Anyway, she's a sophomore at Harding University, a 21-year veteran with the Air Force, and former police officer of 14 years. So welcome my buddy Patrick up on stage. Originally from Plano, Texas, uh, Jenna King, but well, well, she's a proud Memphian now of seven years, married to Seth, and they have almost a two-year-old, Evelyn, or we call her Evie. They also have a 17-pound cat named Biggs, <laughs> rightly named, and an anxious dog named Gus. Uh, she loves to bake and eat what she bakes. And she was a youth minister at Sycamore View for four years before transitioning to campus minister and Bible teacher at Harding Academy. So welcome our guest, Seth, uh, Seth and Jenna. <laughs> Justin Ardery uh, serves as our communications minister here, uh, and God uses his God-given talent and skills in design to help us communicate to our church and our surrounding community through our printed materials, our website, branding, videos, and social media. His wife, Charlie, serves as an art teacher at campus school. They both serve on the board at SOMA, uh, which is one of our shared college ministry at the University of Memphis campus. And Justin and another one of our members, Darren Ruddy, have, they co-teach the Sycamore View College Bible class here at Sycamore View. So Justin, welcome. Patrick, you're on, buddy. Morning, church. Oh, I'm sorry. When we pause to reflect on God's intentions and his heart, uh, that's when we truly understand relationships, unity, and reconciliation. But what does that look like? I get that often. What does reconciliation look like? And for me, and I think most of you would agree, that it looks like us. It looks like Sycamore View, a group of Christ-centered people uh, striving to be the hand and feet of Jesus trying to live into the Great Commission. We all have issues, and they may look different for each one of us. But with that issue, we also have a story. And that story is how our relationship with God has created unity and some form of reconciliation in our lives. I was speaking with Phil Hart earlier this morning. Uh, the issue is really not the issue. The issue is Satan's way to divide us, you know, to tear up our church and to tear up our community and tear up our homes. When we live into our relationships, unity, and reconciliation, we disrupt Satan's plan because we lean forward and live from a different power. We live from the power of the grave. Our intentional efforts to pray without ceasing, stand for those who are marginalized, and our willingness to meet people where they are and to help them see Jesus, those are all examples of how 
not how, but why, unity, relationships, and reconciliation matter. But let's be honest, this is not easy. You know, some of the same fears that you all have, I have. You know, traveling into a territory where it's unknown or meeting people you may not be too familiar with. I remember my grandmother telling me something that really resonated with me and stuck with me. She said, you can't tell a hungry man about Jesus. You have to feed him. And, you know, so this morning, my prayer is that God would deliver us from our fears and also that he would reveal himself to us in a bold way. And I will leave you with this before I give it to Jenna. You know, if you're like me, you know, I, daily I need to do inventory of my life. You know, there are some things that I need to throw away, just to be honest with you, and I'm quite sure you all are there as well. But I'll leave you with this uh, question. How will you lean forward and live into relationships, unity and reconciliation to advance the kingdom of God? Thank you. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Psalm 63, verse 1. When David wrote this psalm, he had been chased into the Judean desert by his own son, Absalom. And the idea of longing for water takes on an entirely new meaning when you're sweating and suffering in the desert, running for your own life. And there are certainly those in this world that are dying of thirst. There are those in this world that are living in the desert. But we cannot give to others what we ourselves have not received. So as we seek to restore relationships and communities, and we have to remember that we aren't called into the world to offer sips from our own shallow ponds. Shallow ponds contain water, yes, but water that's stagnant and infested with algae and insects. And um, while one who's been in the desert for weeks or months or for their entire lives surely won't turn down a cool cup of pond water, um, we offer them temporary relief at best and some very unfortunate digestive issues at worst. But there is a better source, a rushing river of living water. And if we'll draw from this river and allow our hearts to be formed and shaped, maybe even drilled and blasted, then we can offer this water to others. David tells us that like a man longing for water in the desert, our hearts were made to long for God, to seek him as the true source of survival and provision. So that God-sized hole in our hearts metaphor falls short. It makes, us, makes it seem as if God were only one piece of the puzzle. So if we add together the fulfillment that we already get from our jobs, our friends, our family, add a little bit of God, then we'll be made whole as if God is holy spackle for covering slight imperfections. But our hearts are not jigsaw puzzles with one missing piece. They are fish out of water. They are gasping for the only possible sustenance, the living water that our Father so willingly pours out. The restoration of our hearts is the process through which we quench the thirst of our very souls and reconnect our hearts to the one that first crafted them. We reconnect our hearts to the deep artesian wells of sweet Memphis waters 
rather than the shallow, scummy pond waters that are so readily available, but so ultimately unsatisfying. And there's nothing I can tell you about restoring your heart that will surprise you. There's no magic formula. There's no trendy research that I can share with you about tapping into living water. It's simple. We restore our hearts by immersing ourselves in his word, by calling out to God in prayer, and by worshiping who he is. So we restore our hearts by seeking God in his word. Scripture isn't just a compilation of nice sayings. It is the real, true story of our God. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture points to the heart of God and paints a picture of a powerful God who is um, slow to anger, gracious and compassionate, rich in love. All scripture shows us the will of our Father, and it calls us to deeper waters in him. And we restore our hearts by unceasingly calling out to our God in prayer and by unwaveringly shutting our mouths to listen to his loving whispers in reply. We train our hearts to cry out to God before we cry out to our friends, our diaries, or even our blessed Facebook pages. In Psalm 17, David says, I will call on you, my God, for you will answer me. And as we continually pray and listen for those answers, our hearts are transformed into hearts that ask, seek, and knock in line with the heart of our God. And lastly, we restore our hearts by giving praise and worship to our one true God. Frank Laubach was a missionary in the first half of the 20th century, and after worshiping God alone, um, watching a spectacular sunset in the Philippines, Frank wrote, Is not this marvelous sky a parable? Open your soul and entertain the glory of God, and after a while, that glory will be reflected in the world about you and in the very clouds above your head. So we soak in the beauty of his presence through worship, and like Moses coming off of Mount Sinai, we are illuminated by his goodness and his holiness. And putting our fish-out-of-water hearts back into the depths of God's living water isn't a quick or even an easy fix. Like goldfish tossed into the middle of a rushing river, there will be times when deep waters feel scary, overwhelming, maybe even dangerous. Yet the freedom found in the swift current of living water is certainly where we were made to thrive. God is our God And we earnestly seek him, we thirst for him, we long for him in a dry and parched land where there is nothing more than shallow puddles to be found. So we ask that our gasping hearts would be restored with fresh, living water so that we, in turn, can offer that water to others. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 1.26. In the first chapter of the first book in the story of God's relationship with mankind, he creates this stunning world and then he fills it with wonder and with beauty and he breathes mankind into existence. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. 
We are created for community. The supreme being of the universe is a triune communal God that creates man in the Imago Dei to live as they do. What this means is that as humans, we are hardwired by our creator to exist and to grow, to find purpose, to bear one another's burdens, uh, and basically to display God's heart and character through that community. Our souls long for meaningful relationships with other humans, and we have this primal urge or this desire uh, to strive for an authentic, loving community. And so if we know this to be true, then it begs the question, uh, what exactly is God's purpose and design for his community? It's often been said that everyone is a saint in isolation. Have you ever noticed how loving you are as long as you're surrounded by people who are easy to love? Um, Or how about how patient you can be as long as there is no one around uh, maybe to get on your nerves? One thing we all know to be true, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, is that living in community can be messy and it can be challenging. But that's also exactly the reason why it's essential. Uh, We can't become the people God wants us to be outside of this community. Uh, Our weaknesses, our flaws, our sins uh, are exposed when we come together. And in that healthy Christian community, we work together to lift one another up and bear each other's burdens. And in my own life, I've witnessed times uh, where God uh, is working uh, the most, if I were to use that phrase. Uh, Most of those end up being uh, through community. Uh, I've seen the heart of God on display uh, when I was uh, on high school mission trips. Um, And the community of God uh, ministered to my family and uh, surrounded them, sharing um, the the grief that we experienced when my father passed away uh, unexpectedly. And I've seen God on display uh, through this church. Uh, when, when you guys rally around people both in our church uh, and outside of our church uh, to encourage and show compassion. You've probably heard this before, but we're more connected than we've ever been in the history of the world. Um, yet we're starved for meaningful community. All of us have this deep desire to belong yet we distract ourselves with worldly methods of shallow, less-than-authentic forms of community. And, I mean, I do, it, I do it too. Social media, clothes, sports teams, politics, music, news media. Just buy this product and you'll fit in. Um, you're never going to amount to anything unless you fill in the blank. Uh, When we isolate ourselves and we pull away from the deeper, richer, intentional community of God, we begin to rob ourselves of the pruning and the encouragement and the joy that our Creator has designed for us. Acts 2 has this to say, All the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned, and they pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. And isn't that a powerful display of community? But how often do we see this example lived out? 
Uh, as Mark mentioned, my wife and I both serve on the board for SOMA, our shared college ministry at the University of Memphis. Uh, and I've learned a lot about community by walking with this group over the last 11 years. Uh, first off, SOMA is the Greek word for body, for those who may not be aware. Uh, it's also the name of Mark's dog now, which is cute, cute little puppy. Um, but they exist as a community of believers on campus. And as a person who spends a lot of time with millennials, uh, despite what culture may be telling you, uh, they aren't the source of all your problems. Um, Unless maybe you're a parent helping to pay off their student debt, which I get, I get. Um, Society always attaches the blame to the next generation, so... Just remember that the next time you hear a blanket statement about everybody wanting trophies, it was the parents' generation who were handing them out in the first place and so forth. Um, but each generation has its, its strengths and its pitfalls, and that's real. Uh, Soma has helped redefine that community for me. Um, our adult volunteers spend time pouring into college students, and they pour into us. Um, Each week we share at least one or two meals together uh, or more. Uh, We study, we pray, we go on camping trips, and we share daily life together. And it's been a continual source of blessing in my life. And then that same body of college students who are faithfully living out uh, what it means to be God's community um, go about changing the hearts and minds of other people who are on campus who desperately, desperately need the good news of Jesus. And you see, God uses restored hearts, and he uses relationships uh, to build life-giving community that will, in turn, bring about restorative transformation. And it's this Christ-centered community that is uh, the primary context for God's mission. Uh, God wants us to use our communities, um, messy and broken as they are, uh, to draw others into his story and to introduce them to Jesus. And because it's not just about us becoming more like Jesus, it's about people who don't know Jesus coming to know him as Lord and Savior. And if I have any real advice or wisdom to offer, it's that, and I've I've done this in my own life, um, but we sometimes treat community Uh, much like the safety net under a a tightrope walker. It's a good thing to have just in case something bad happens. Uh, But I've learned through engaging with you and with other uh, spiritual communities that I've been a part of that that community means so much more. It's it's not an afterthought. Um, Because the Bible, when the Bible talks about community, it's, it's almost as if it's the actual tightrope itself. It's what gets you uh, from point A to point B, and you can't really move forward without it. Um, so my prayer today is that we would become, uh, that we would come to a better understanding of maybe the, the imperative central role that community should play uh, in our faith walk because we are created for community. Um, we are transformed in that community And then we hope to live in such a way that we restore others by our community. Yes. Thank you.
So we were just discussing with our eye contact here that you all have allowed me, what, another 20 minutes, right? Am I good with that? Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, prayer warriors, if you would be, uh, begin going to your places as we start to kind of wind down. Thank you. Um, so I got a question for you. I got a question for me. I got a question for you. How will you lean forward into relationships in unity to advance the kingdom? Think about that. And another thing I thought about this morning, I was telling Jenna, how am I or how are you holding back that advancement as we try to advance the kingdom? Our hearts need to be refreshed this morning with fresh, living water so we can offer a cool, fresh drink to others. It begins with us. So will it begin with us this morning? Will it? We are created for community. Thank you, Justin. And we're all made to be communal. We're made in the image of a communal God. And we reflect his likeness to the world around us by encouraging one another. Are we encouraging one another? I hope we are. Are you encouraging others? We need to be strengthened in our faith and loving our neighbor. Do we love our neighbor? And Jesus taught us who our neighbor is. If you have to ask, you may not be loving your neighbor. Are we doing that? Are we loving our neighbor? There's so much to be done. This morning when I was walking around the building, I heard a vacuum cleaner. And we always have people up here taking care of the building. And um, I looked all the way down the hall, and I could tell who it was, what they were wearing, almost the brand of vacuum cleaner, because God has granted me such great vision at a distance. But you saw what I was putting on a minute ago, these little cheap reading glasses. And by the way, if you leave your reading glasses in the pew by accident, thank you. <laughs> it's been a while since I've purchased a pair. I can see far down the highway. I can see license plates. I can see signage. I can see all of your faces, most of you, except for the glare of the lights and what you're wearing, if you're smiling or not. But I can't see right in front of me. And I believe that's the way we are with our vision sometimes. All this stuff sounds good. It all looks good on paper. They presented well. They did a great job. But it begins with us right in front of us our own life, our own families, and our restoration. Maybe there's someone that needs restoration this morning in these areas we've talked about or your relationship with God Almighty and with us. And uh, we're here to accept that. We, we love to pray with you. We love to do anything we can for you in this restoration process. Thank you for being part of our family. Thank you for being a part of this body of believers here at this location. Let's sing.